I'm going to talk a little bit today about bracketing each event in stillness. About freezing the ego in stillness. And so let's begin by bracketing this surface with an opening prayer. Let me ask you to close your eyes. And pretend that you are a bird with no place to go. One of those beautiful ravens that we have here are one of those magnificent night hawks. And you've all seen these, these big birds occasionally fight the wind. They're pushed back a little bit by the wind. And then what do they do? They quickly see the futility of that and they turn and they ride on the wind. You are a bird with no place to go. Just to fly around heaven all day. So over you and all around you is this magnificent shining blue. And the occasional winds are merely the events of your life. They come and go. And now you know to merely ride them out. You turn and face them only to go higher for no other reason, never to do battle, but to spread your wings and let the events of your life lift you closer and closer into the kingdom of heaven. You have come from nowhere and you have no place to go. Now is your home. And God is your protector. And freedom is your right. I'll be silent for a moment and just let your thoughts drift and sing and float. And for just a moment, partake of the freedom that is yours. Okay, the topic this morning is the gifts of God, or just gifts, because there's only one gift, and that's the gift that comes from God, or from your deeper self, or from love itself. We know that the words are not important. There's only one gift, and that's the gift that does not turn to ashes in our hand. It's the gift that we get not by stepping on people, but by leaning back and accepting what is ours. And possibly the greatest gift of all is harmlessness or invulnerability or simply truth itself. The promise is that no matter how far your brother or your sister wanders into darkness, 
no matter how deeply we go into darkness. At any moment, we can turn, and there behind us, smiling gently and holding out his hand, will be this friend that we always suspected was by our side. He offers us his hand and says, Come with me, I will lead you home. Absolute indestructibility, total harmlessness, is the nature of reality. You cannot go so far that you will be lost from God. That means you do not have to worry about your mistakes. It's just more clouds of darkness. It means nothing. But each step home brings all your brothers and sisters with you. So the greatest gift of God is that the truth is true. That God stands over the truth now and forever. It will never change. We can dream our dreams. We can dream whatever dream we wish. We can dream it as long as we wish. But there is an end to the darkness because there is an end to the pain. There is an end to our tolerance for the pain. And so harmlessness is the first gift of God. Possibly the second one is peace. Peace being the soil from which everything else grows. And we began this service in prayer, and we will end it in prayer. And I've mentioned to you something that you can actively do. We've talked about many things that we can actively do. Here at the Dispensable Church, we started out with simply noticing, being aware of what the ego was doing. And then we gently went to active steps that we could take. And one of the uh, most lovely of these steps is this bracketing of events. I was, I was talking to a man who I'll mention later in the service who was a Hindu. And he was telling me that the Hindus pray before they eat and they pray after they eat. They pray before they have a glass of water and they pray afterwards. They pray before they plant a tree and they pray afterwards. They pray when they begin their day and they pray afterwards. And recently, Gail and I have been doing this. this we've been pausing before each event. Seeing that our purpose is peace and then pausing after the event and looking back on the event and seeing that we didn't keep this purpose very long. This is maybe the first thing that you'll discover if you're like me. I remember uh, a couple days ago, I went into Healy Matthews to buy some of that uh, lined yellow paper. I, I, for some reason, I, hang, I hung on to the, uh, to the white lined paper that I had in school for 40-some-odd uh, years, and 
uh, I don't know, this newfangled yellow line paper. I, I know. Everybody was, I noticed it on the plane, you know, that all the executives used the yellow paper. <laughs> I had my little white paper with holes in it. <laughs> it kind of turned their backs as they wrote their notes, do you see? <laughs> so I decided I would plunge into life. <laughs> so the first place I bought my line paper was at J.C. Penney's. And it ripped. It didn't tear neatly. I was sure that this was my fault. I tried all kinds of techniques. The quick snatch. I tried putting my finger up there and tearing it. Nothing would work. So I decided I would move up to Healy Matthews. Well, Gail, in the meantime, had gotten me a pad from Healy Matthews, and uh, it teared beautifully. And uh, even if I hadn't finished the, uh, the note on the plane, I would, with great abandon, just tear it out, you see. <laughs> Look around. I was now one of the executives, you see. <laughs> but I ran out of that, and so here we were at Healy Matthews. I was going back to buy many pads of this, having found the key to happiness. <laughs> so we paused before going in and uh, established that my purpose, our purpose, was not to buy lined yellow paper. Our purpose was the peace of God. Now this is very important because if you're purpose is to buy lined yellow paper, then think of all the things that can go wrong. They can be out of the paper. They can be out to lunch. They're often out to lunch in Santa Fe. <laughs> and then we have that wonderful phenomenon here in Santa Fe where you call them up and you ask them if they have a particular item. And they say, oh yeah, we've got that. You go to the store and uh, you say, I'd like such and such. And they Say, well, uh, we're out of it. I said, well, we just called and you, you said that you have it. Oh, yeah, we have it, but we're just out of it right now. <laughs> you've, you've run into that. Uh, there can be the mood of the clerk. There can be not enough clerks to wait on you. There can be it's located in some obscure place. So if our purpose is anything beside the peace of God, it is so tenuous. Our happiness is so tenuous. And this is very important to see. That the ego sets a multiplicity of goals. One petty little goal after the other all day long. A little carrot that constantly changes and hangs just before us. It says, get this, let this happen, have this come to pass and you will be happy. But whenever we buy into that, then our happiness can be shattered so quickly and is, in fact, shattered a thousand times a day. It, never seems, it always seems like somehow we can make that kind of approach to life work, but it just never quite works. And therefore, we are left only with blaming someone, never questioning the approach, but it's always someone's fault. It's Santa Fe's fault or it's... Uh, the clerk's fault, or it's the manufacturer's fault, or something. So we establish that in our car. Uh, 
Healy Matthews, they have the dark glass. So we knew they were all lined up behind the dark glass, peering out at us <laughs> with our heads bent and eyes closed, muttering about these crazy religious nuts, you see, and the town being taken over by them. So, but we did it anyway. We went in, and sure enough, they weren't standing behind the dark glass. But I remembered my goal, the peace of God, I would say for 26 seconds. <laughs> because I went to the stack where the lined paper was, and there was, in fact, one tablet left. But under it, there was another tablet. Another kind of tablet, a slightly different color, a paler yellow. The lines weren't quite as bold. This is, in fact, it right here. You can see the lines aren't bold and dashing. See. Uh, and I also noticed that the little serrated line was under the flap rather than just below it. And the question was, would this tear? <laughs> but they had written the price on this first sheet. So I couldn't test it or I'd be taking a price off. So I went up to the guy at the cash register, waited there much too long. Finally, he came, noticed me, and I said, would you mind if I tested this paper? He said, oh, it's the same manufacturer. It's exactly the same paper. And I said, yes, but look here. You see, this little dotted line here is under the flap, whereas the old one, and this, I, I could see he didn't understand the importance of this. <laughs> there was a slight sneer on his face. You see. And he said, very well. <laughs> so I, it tore perfectly, you see. My peace was restored, you see. We went out, sat in the car, and then I remembered at what point I'd lost my peace. It was when the yellow paper became more important than the peace of God. And I want, once again, to recommend this practice to you if you can do this without any sense of burden or complication or the amount of time that this would take to pause before and after each event of the day would probably total six or seven minutes. So you first of all have to understand, you have to ask yourself that deep question, do you have time for this? Because there will be many seconds spent doing this. Very simple, you just pause by yourself or with someone else, doesn't matter. You establish that your purpose is the peace of God. And so you might picture yourself going into Connie's or going into the courthouse or uh, going to the movie or going to Albertson's or whatever it is that you have to do. Picture yourself doing it in peace. Uh, see that they've switched from the California avocados to the Florida ones, you see. And uh, you hate the Florida ones. But now... You see, you just look, you realize that this does not have to become an issue. You do not have to plunge into despair over this. You just notice that this is, in fact, your option. That you can carry the peace of God with you. That there don't have to be a thousand and one things more important than feeling the presence 
and the love and the gentleness of God. Laughter. Laughter is unquestionably a gift of God. A Course in Miracles says that the world will end in laughter. That's how all misery, misery will pass away. And gentle, sweet, joining laughter. And there's so many great comedy teams who showed us how the world can be laughed at. This is a world gone wrong. Once you see that, you realize it always goes... For example, on the cover of Time magazine, we now have the Ayatollah. Now, every correspondent in this country has a red face because every correspondent in this country said that Iran was about to collapse, that they would never win the war with Iraq. And here are these weird, undulating soldiers carrying this picture and so forth, untrained, beating this highly trained army of Iraq. And this was not supposed to happen. This is a world gone wrong. And Time magazine is going to explain this to us, just as it pointed out the dangers of salt. I don't mean the treaty, I mean the stuff you sprinkle on your food. <laughs> Did that for us. The Marx Brothers, uh, Cheech and Chong, um, Long Hardy, um, who else? Charlie Chaplin, a world gone wrong. Once you see that it is a world gone wrong, then it's quite funny. You can really sit back and laugh. Uh, I remember Gail and I got real serious about buying a new car several years ago. Uh, we subscribed to, we bought a subscription to Consumers Report and uh, read the articles there. And then we got Esquire and a number of magazines that had articles. And every magazine agreed that this new car that VW had come out with called the Rabbit was the best engineered car that had ever been made. So we read every single article. With great confidence, we went and we bought a Rabbit. Two weeks later, it was being towed back in. <laughs> it had broken down every single day that we had it, we, but finally it wouldn't even go back to the place. We had to trade it in. We looked uh, at our uh, stove, our wood-burning stove. We, we bought a wood-burning stove and converted it, getting into the whole Santa Fe uh, frame of mind when we first got here. We made our own adobes and, and we were going to be ready when when the world came to pieces uh, and uh, we would be able to be completely self-sufficient. So we bought a wood-burning stove and we converted it so that it could be converted back in 30 minutes. We had enough food supplies to last us that 30 minutes. <laughs> And after uh, 10 years of the wood-burning stove, which I had converted along with some of my friends, uh, and I can tell you many stories about that, we decided that what we would do is we would get a real stove. No more of this Santa Fe quaint stuff. And so we went to a place in Albuquerque, a, a restaurant outlet that sold real ranges. The guy got up on the door 
of the oven door, and he jumped up and down on his door. It didn't break. He took one of the little spiders, and he threw it across the room. It wasn't even dented. We were very impressed, and we said, that's the one for us. Crate it up. So they brought out. It took about six men to lift it off the thing because it was all this solid cast iron stuff, you see. And I had uh, a couple of my friends out there helping me on. Uh, on they were helping uh, build a, a little vent that was going to go over the this new stove. Came, we brought into the house, took all the cardboard off, and I said, this stove is absolutely indestructible. And I went, went over and I re reached to the little oven thing and I turned it and it broke right in my hand. <laughs> right in front of them. Well, while uh, my friend was building the, the hood, uh, my mother called and said, uh, what would you like for Christmas? Would you like uh, one of my statues or would you like some stock in GM? And uh, uh, it probably sounds like my mother is the most wealthy person on earth. This is not true, but this is she evidently had some extra GM stock or something. Um, but I don't have very many of my mother's sculptures, and uh, she's a magnificent. I just can't afford them. They're in bronze and so forth, so I have very few of them. So I said, I definitely want the sculpture. She said, well, it's a dancing bear. And I think uh, that what you need is a, you might have a little splash pool around it for John. You might just build this little sp splash pool. Uh, she said, you sure you don't want the stock? I said, no, I don't want the stock. So it was decided it would be the statue. And uh, I noticed that just after that, GM stock went down. So obviously God had guided me on this. <clears throat> or either that or he had decided that to show... My, to reward my love for my mother, he depressed the price of the GM stock. I'm not sure which one. So I asked uh, my friend who was building the hood if he could also build a little splash pool around the thing. He said, oh, yes, as a matter of fact, that's what I do most of. I build a little, a little indoor spas and things like that. So we started in building that and came in and uh, said, uh, you realize, of course, that between where the bricks end and this, there's just going to be dirt or something, and, and the kids are going to track dirt into the pond. Uh, are you sure you want it that small? And we went out and looked at it, and we uh, all these pictures of muddy feet going into the, the, the water. <laughs> oh, well, why don't you go ahead and expand it to the thing? All right, we'll do that. That's going to cost you a little bit more. He said, yes, I understand that. So, um, then it came time for the uh, tile selection. Uh, he said to me. He said, you understand, of course, I don't lay uh, commercial tile. I only lay handmade tile. I wouldn't touch that commercial stuff. <clears throat> I said, oh, he said, it so happens I've got some very nice commercial tile here. It's made out in Dixon. Uh, it only costs 20 times as much as the... <laughs> so I, that's a deal. <laughs> Bought the tile, so forth. Then uh, someone was over there and they said, you, of course, realize that in Santa Fe that uh, the water never gets over about 70 degrees. Uh, your little kid and his friends are going to freeze to death. You understand, of course, that you've got to have a heater for this. And Oh, well, we, you don't want your child to be blue. So uh, we bought the heater. And then uh, 
someone else was over there one day and said, uh, of course you realize that uh, there are these little bacteria and uh, these little horsehair uh, amoeba and things that grow in water that's not filtered. And I said, no, I didn't realize that. And he said, you know, of course, you're going to have to get a, a filtering system or your child is going to have swimmer's itch. <laughs> Certainly didn't want that. Uh, and, you know, we'd already vested a considerable amount of our savings, and so we can't turn it back now, and so we got a filtering system. Then someone else came out of the house, and they were looking at the project, and they said, of course you realize that all the electricity to your house runs underneath this pool. <laughs> Did you realize that there is the slightest crack and the water could go down? If there's a nick in the line, you will fry about eight kids. <laughs> Certainly couldn't allow that to happen, so we had to get someone out there to reroute all the electricity to the house. See? Now, I could go on with this story, but you know how it goes. This, of course, this is the way the world is. It's a world gone wrong. And if you can look at it that way, you can gently laugh. And when you laugh, you actually step back into God. You feel the joy of God a little bit because you realize there's nothing you're going to be able to do about this because the next project and the next project and the next project will all be this way, except occasionally when you don't expect it, one will work out. And you will try to remember what fancy thought you put in your head and said, ah, that's the reason it worked out, and you'll try the fancy thought, and of course it doesn't work the next time. So if we can just learn to laugh at it, the way Charlie Chaplin did, we can just laugh at it. Then we sink a little deeper into God, each time we laugh. It's a gentle laugh. It's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's always going to be one thing after the other. And the laughter actually picks us up, puts us on the wind, and lifts us into the heart of God. So we have harmlessness and peace and laughter. And we have happiness. Happiness comes on you unexpectedly, like dandelions. They're just suddenly there, you see. And you can either see the dandelion as a weed, or you can see the dandelion as, as a flower. It comes on you like a first-name boutique on the plaza. Suddenly it's there. One more first-name boutique. <laughs> And we needed another one, didn't we? All right. I'm not singling out. There's so many that we, we're not singling out any first-name boutiques, but I'm sure we'll have six more before the year ends. And it just comes on you suddenly. The ego thinks that happiness must be worked for, that it's a project that must be undertaken, that it must be constructed like tinker toys or something. But happiness is a natural result of peace. Peace is something that you can seek deliberately. Peace is something you can work for. But I would not suggest that you work for happiness because although they are identical in truth, there is so much fear attached to happiness. And there is so much 
misunderstanding of the nature of happiness. And it seems to be so treacherous. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. It seems so dependent. But you will recognize happiness because it will bloom inside you. It is actually the recognition of God inside you. So practice harmlessness and practice peace and step back and laugh gently and allow happiness to be your gift. It is an actual reward. <coughs> there is no reward in the world for a spiritual path. And this is something that's greatly misunderstood. And when I talk about this, I hope no one will go out and call someone else on this subject. But it is greatly misunderstood, and it's in fact a carryover from Orthodox Christianity to believe that there are rewards in the world for spiritual efforts. But look at the great unfairness if the universe actually operated in this manner. If it, if you happen, if you just look at the world right now in your mind, if you just look at all the people on this globe, just look at them now, all over, everywhere, country after country after country, where is the fairness that only those people who know Heshua's Greek name, <laughs> Jesus, and use Heshua's Greek translated name, Jesus, that only they will receive a re reward. This is, see how crazy this is? You see what boxes we put ourselves in? Or you say the prayer right. Or you do it the right time of the day. Or you do it kneeling. Or you do it in the right church. Or you do it in the right service. There's no criticism of people who believe this, but do you see the great unfairness? Do you see how this leaves most of the world dangling over hell because they don't have this prized piece of knowledge? Now along comes metaphysics and truth and the transcendental movement and the new thought movement and the spiritual movement. And there's a subtle carryover there. Now it's not that you must know Heshua's Greek name, but that you must learn some certain rules. Now look at what this implies. Look at the world. Who on the face of this globe has the time or is in the circumstances to get the education to read the books, to learn the rules that will allow them to manipulate this world. Is this fair? Is this the way the universe operates? That somehow you have to be able to read? Do you know how many people cannot even read in this world? And then you have to study or you have to hear a speaker who will tell it to you, the right speaker. And then you have to spend years studying it and then you have to apply it just right, and then zap. Your bank account grows. Your health improves. You see the unfairness of this? Is this the way God loves his children? 
Is this the way he looks upon this earth? Is this the means by which he gives his gifts? So obviously not true. But never call anyone on this. This is a very, very innocent little mistake. It's not important that someone think this. And these farms are in a hundred other farms. So I don't say this to those of you who come regularly to this church so that, so that you will not go out and argue with people who believe this. But simply so that you will not burden yourself with this misconception. Because the children of God have turned around now. They are walking back home. It's just begun. And possibly the greatest deterrent to this walk home is this belief. That as we walk home, our personal life will be positively changed. That we will have a reward for all our efforts. And I get a call on the phone from somebody in the country at least once a day who thinks that they have tried very hard. In fact, they have. And they haven't gotten a job or they haven't gotten their great love relationship. Or they haven't healed their cancer. And they say, I'm ready to give the whole thing up. The gifts of God have nothing to do with the world. Harmlessness has nothing to do with the world. Peace has nothing to do with lined yellow paper. Laughter is merely an attitude. And happiness is indeed a reward, but it comes in the heart. And you know it doesn't matter how poor you are or how rich you are. I gave a talk at the penitentiary this Wednesday. Those are the nicest guys. Uh, uh, Carol and I were talking about this before. Those are the nicest. Every time I go out there, I just say, these are the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. There's one guy out there. Uh, he was so nice and so sensitive and said, uh, as I was leaving, he said, uh, he said, you come back, will you? He said, we're usually here. <laughs> And I just, I knew it was a mistake, you know, that he was there. And I asked the uh, person who was with me, and I said, what, what did he do? I can't, I'm, I, I can't tell you what he did. Uh, it was just too gruesome. But uh, <laughs> my sister lives in Hollywood. She's made a number of movies. She was on Eight is Enough, and you've probably seen her on something or on some television program. She's not a household name, but she's she has had enough success that she knows a lot of the people in Hollywood. And uh, so through her, and occasionally, because someone in that particular echelon will read one of my books, I've met a few of that strata. And it's, it's very interesting to me how alike they are to the people in the, in the pen. <laughs> I, was, I was having lunch with uh, 
one of these people <laughs> recently, and uh, he was uh, telling me just what had happened to him in the last two days. He had just wanted to go skiing. He was up skiing. He was in the bar, and suddenly uh, someone got up, an entertainer, and started making uh, jokes that uh, pertained to his life. And everybody was now staring at him and so forth. They weren't making jokes at him, but they were making jokes about his circumstances and the people in his life and the uh, particular soap opera that he was involved in that everybody knew. And I don't mean literal soap opera. I mean his life situation. He had to leave the bar. There he was in the restaurant. And uh, I could see uh, the owner of the restaurant came over and uh, uh, the people, uh, the waiters and waitresses and so forth uh, would find little excuses to pour water and do things, you know. I've, we've never, I've never had such attention. <laughs> I mean, the ashtray or anything was just, it was just taken care of instantly. Um, but there was always some exchange or something. Uh, oh, you're so and so, you know, as if they didn't know, as if they hadn't come all the way across. So here, I realized that that these people were going to go off and say, "Guess who I talked to in the restaurant?" And they were going to tell ten people, and this person knew it. So now. He, it wasn't just as if he had a relationship of, that lasted three seconds with somebody. It was now an impression that someone was going to carry and possibly talk about for the rest of their life, the time they met so-and-so. And so here it was, tremendous effort to talk to every single person. And he indeed uh, was extremely nice and courteous to every one of these people. But it was exhausting, and they all had to ask him questions about the thing he did. They thought that was the only thing he was interested in. He'd already made it clear that he did never want to talk about that subject again. It's just what he happened to do in life. Uh, but they, of course, didn't know that and just assumed that's what he wanted to talk about. Well, here, this man, as well as other people uh, that I know about in that setting, are in cages. They can't walk down the street without disguising themselves. They have to be constantly on. You'll often find these people back in some house with a huge fence around it, sneaking out to weird places where they, where people won't bother them. Santa Fe, of course, is one of these weird places. <laughs> so that's why there are a lot of them coming here now. But there are also the people coming to see them. See, so it, 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 it'll follow them. <laughs> so there is there is no escape from this whether or not the world pours everything that the world says is happiness into your lap fame respect wealth physical beauty you name it there's this group of people who seem to have it and everybody's so surprised that they that they take drugs to escape it that they become alcoholics, that they kill themselves. They are, there's, there's really very little difference between this and the inmate in the, in the penitentiary. So the gift of God, the reward of God, the happiness that comes from God has absolutely nothing to do with circumstances. The last gift is love. Let me read you a section from A Course in Miracles. It's just two paragraphs long. Those of you who are starting to get bored already. 
It is not love that asks a sacrifice. But fear demands the sacrifice of love, for in love's presence fear cannot abide. For hate to be maintained, love must be feared, and only sometimes present, and sometimes gone. Thus is love seen as treacherous, because it seems to come and go uncertainly and offer no stability to you. You do not see how limited and weak is your alliance, and how frequently you have demanded that love go away and leave you quietly alone in peace. The body, innocent of any goal, is your excuse for variable goals you hold and force the body to maintain. Would you recognize that nothing stands between you? Would you know there is no gap behind which you can hide? There is a shock that comes to those who learn their Savior is their enemy no longer. There is a wariness that is aroused by learning that the body is not real. And there are overtones of seeming fear around the happy message, God is love. Yet all that happens when the gap is gone is peace eternal, nothing more than that, and nothing less. Without the fear of God, what could induce you to abandon him? What toys or trinkets in the gap could serve to hold you back and in from his love? Would you allow the body to say no to heaven's calling? Were you not afraid to find a loss of self in finding God? Yet can yourself be lost by being found? So this is the great fear that keeps us from accepting love from other people. It is not conscious in most cases. Very few people realize that this is the unconscious love, excuse me, the unconscious premise behind our rejection of love. And you might want to take a, a day and just say out loud without any condemnation of yourself, voice every time you reject love. Every time you do not allow someone's gentleness or someone's outreach to come into your heart. You will be surprised at how you defend yourself. You'll be surprised at, at the pains you take to avoid contact and love. This doesn't mean that you need to be gregarious. I'm not speaking of more physical contact, but just allowing love to be there, to allowing yourself to love. There is a tremendous fear of love. And that's why A Course in Miracles says it is not a set of books designed to teach the meaning of love. It is actually the fear that your identity will be rubbed out if you love too much. Because love is a joining. So even the very words that must be used to describe the effect of love and the nature of love are terrifying to the ego. Union with another person, joining with another person. If you try to join two bodies, you get some sort of flesh soup or something. It just can't be done. Can't do that. 
So that's a fearful concept. And to join with God, to enter God, to lay aside the body, seems like utter destruction. And one of the things that will happen is that as you proceed along the spiritual path, you will begin to hear your teacher. A Course in Miracles is designed, it seems to me, primarily for those who wish Jesus as their teacher. It doesn't matter what you call your teacher, but those who like to think of their teacher as Jesus, A Course in Miracles is designed to turn you to Jesus who will eventually begin speaking to you. Now this can sound so weird, and people can try to make this happen before it happens naturally, and and get to be very strange people. (laughs) You will know when it happens to you, naturally, by your total lack of desire to discuss it with anybody. It's not that you will hold yourself back from discussing it, you just will have no desire to discuss it. And when Jesus begins speaking to you, or whoever your teacher is, whoever your teacher is, when that begins to happen, you will be so surprised at the lack of difference between you and your teacher. This is not some sort of weird state. This is merely someone without an ego. That's all it is. Yet all that happens when the gap is gone is peace eternal. Nothing more than that and nothing less. All that happens when you lay aside your body, when you become one with God, all that happens is you just don't have an ego anymore. You don't have that little part that pleads for your misery, that suggests how to be unhappy in every single circumstance. How to hurt people's feelings. This is not understood. Many of you can already recognize the voice of the ego. What is not clear yet is that the ego is always pleading for your unhappiness. The reason that we're still holding on to the ego is that we think that some of its suggestions will bring us happiness. Every gain within this world is merely a wish for more problems. And this is not apparent, but it's a gradual process. There's nothing to fear about it. And as you take each step, you will see that your happiness is increased, that your heart sings. And it's so much fun to be happy. It's so much fun not to worry anymore. It's so much fun to realize it doesn't matter that the refrigerator doesn't work. And now you can let people shout at you and you realize this doesn't affect you. It doesn't. Where does it affect you? How does it touch you? And so you let them shout at you and you bless them and walk on. Okay, now in closing, I want to talk about two deterrents to the peace of God. The first one you can't do anything about. By that I mean you're not going to be able to eliminate this first deterrent 
all probability for a pretty long time, maybe a number of years, maybe even longer than that. And that's fear. Don't try to stop being afraid. You're not, you're going to be afraid. So don't try to eliminate that altogether and at once. Don't get mad at yourself for being afraid. Irritation is a form of fear. Don't get mad at yourself for being irritated. You're not going to stop being irritated in all probability for a while. This is all right. But you can begin laying it aside. Now that you can do. You can begin laying it aside. And I want to give you just one simple exercise in regard to fear. State the fear. Just try this for moments. Only when it's a pleasure to do this. Simply say the fear. I'm getting out of bed now. Getting out of bed. Now let's assume you're on a spiritual path. I'm getting out of bed now. Uh, I'm not sure if my bed faces due north. It's supposed to face due north, isn't it? Mm. Not sure if it faces due north. Uh, that, was a, that was a very cheap compass. I used very cheap. Uh, wrong side of the bed. Wrong side of the bed. Hmm. I wonder if that old, old saying has any meaning. These old things seem to have a meaning, don't they? Wrong side of the bed. Let's see. I'm left-handed. I'm left-handed. That means that the right side of my brain is dominant. Do I get out? Should I get out of the right side of the bed or the left side? The alarm, the alarm clock. You say it outside, the alarm clock. I wonder if the pH of the vibrations of the alarm clock are the same as the pH of my vibrations. Should I go to a, another? And now you start walking and ah, step on a crack and break your mother's back. There's that old saying. And of course, you've bought the carefree brick floor. And you've just taken up the 16th finish on there and trying another one. Someone has now suggested steer's blood and uh, crank oil, you see, and you're about to try it. But you realize that there are little cracks. Now, as you step on the cracks on your way to the bathroom, you say, yes, indeed, my mother has been having back problems recently. It's not broken, but these are little cracks. And you go into, you say it, so you, now you're in the bathroom, you see. Ah, but you're going to have to brush your teeth after breakfast, too. Should you really brush your teeth now? You sit there, this is something to think about, you see. So you decide, no, I will brush my teeth, I will be practical. I'll brush them after breakfast. And so you go into the kitchen. Yes, but what if someone comes at your door? And you haven't brushed your teeth. This is indeed something to think about during breakfast. And at the party last night, someone said that vitamins make your organs lazy. And you, you, you start feeling your organs. And sure enough, they seem very quiet. They, <laughs> very lethargic. And all of the cereals have vitamins in them. You see? And now, of course, this time of year, Getting dressed is a terror because you might look like a tourist. 
So you just turn, you turn, you say it out loud, say the fear. Notice the fear as a fear as you go through the day. I'm not kidding you that 99% of our mental activity is fear. Say it out loud and you'll see the absurdity. Say it out loud and it'll become a, a Marx Brothers movie. Uh, just turn to the ego and say, oh, all right, maybe it's not due north. It not. What do you want me to do, hire a surveyor? <laughs> Just turn, look at it directly. The last to turn is something you can indeed do about and should and eliminate it today. Don't go out of this room without eliminating this. Never have this one again. And that is discouragement. Fear is going to take a while. Discouragement you can let go of now. Because discouragement is based on such apparently ridiculous assumptions. Discouragement is based on, first of all, the assumption that the truth is not simple. I can tell you everything I know in three sentences. Go in peace. Live in the present. Love and laugh together. The truth is simple. Discouragement says the truth is not simple. The second premise is the way is not easy. The way is easy. Notice how easy it becomes if you just say it is so simple. It is so simple. And notice how simple it becomes if you just say it's so simple. And let it be simple. And the third premise is that God has abandoned you. How could you be discouraged if God were there? How could you be discouraged if God knows your every thought? How could you be discouraged if you know that he speaks to you within your thoughts? That he directs you to the books, to the people, not in hidden signs, but directly and simply and all the time. The truth is simple. The way is easy and God is with you. Have no more time for discouragement. It is not some warm pool of jello into which to sink. It will not relax you and give you peace. It is a waste of time. Say, I have no more time for this. I'm going to do something I haven't done before in this church. I'm going to read something that I myself wrote. <laughs> uh, and this was written for a dear friend who sits in the audience when her husband passed away. And it came from my heart, and I hope it will come from your heart, and I will read it as a prayer. And the you in it is you. So if you'll close your eyes, we'll end the service with this. You stand at the source, looking out. You are blessed and you can extend an endless blessing. Close your eyes and imagine this happy scene of healing. You are a stream that has begun to flow in an old and dry bed. You are a bringer of cool water to earth that is parched and dead. In your wake, seeds sprout up and bloom. The earth turns to life at your coming. 
From this time on, you may offer a cup of cool water to everyone you meet or think about, to those yet to come, and to those who have been here and left. You may offer it in joy and ask nothing in payment. You need not preach or exhort. You need not ignore or disdain. You may safely offer all that you have so that you may have still more of its source, of which you are a part. You offer a simple choice, an alternative to bitterness and despair. And because you stand in God, you see all things in his light. Nothing before you deserves to suffer. No one is unworthy of his help. You extend love's light to an earth that turns willingly to receive the light. You stand in God. You stand in love. You offer light to shine away the cold shadows of fear. You offer, but you do not manipulate or force. You stand in God. And you feel his gratitude pour through you with each person who accepts his gifts. Resolve to remain as constant in your giving as is your source until that time comes when every living thing will wake to its innocence and find itself at home. Thanks for coming. Go in peace.